Welcome to the latest edition of the Leader to Leader podcast. I'm your host, Susan Spears, President and CEO of the Fredericksburg Regional Chamber of Commerce. Our guest today is Dr. Troy Pano. He is the president of the University of Mary Washington here in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Troy, welcome. Well, thank you, Susan, for having me. Yes, thanks for being here. I'm going to share a little bit about your background with our listeners. I'm sure you'll get into some of this as we talk about your leadership journey. But let me tell them a little about you. So I enjoyed reading your your bio today. Um, 10th president of the University of Mary Washington. And you came in July 2016. And it's as we're sitting here today, it's February 2022. That's flown by in a minute. It has flown by. Yeah. And the last two years were like 10 years. Yeah. I refer to them (laughs) as dog years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Anyway, you came to the University of Mary Washington after a six-year stint as president of Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri, and uh, earned your doctorate and master's degrees in American studies from Michigan State University. Go Spartans. (laughs) Yeah, we got to go into the sports. I love it. He holds a law degree from Indiana University and a bachelor's degree in history and philosophy from, oh, I'm going to say it wrong. I'll say it, Evangel University. Evangel. I I don't know why that word should stump me. It looks very obvious. I like this part of your bio. Teaching and scholarly interests include um, American higher education, 20th century cultural and social history, and American legal history. Uh, that's really quite interesting, and you've written extensively on the history of American sports and published published a book, The Social History of the United States in the 1960s. I've never talked to you about some of that, and that's really quite interesting. It's all in my past, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the past, and here you are today. Um, we, I remember seeing you, um, and I've said this to you before over the last two years, but I think that first week when we were shut down in March of 2020, um, you know, you know that I live near the the university, and you often see me or me and my dogs walking on campus. I always, there. I, I love dogs, so I always <laughs> yeah. like seeing you and your dogs. Yeah, but on this one particular day, it was the middle of the week, and it was the week when everything shut down, and it was a beautiful day. The sun was out; people were everywhere, and I remember passing you. You were, I believe, walking with your wife, and I was out with the dogs and my husband on opposite sides um, there on Kimmore Avenue, and I thought. And we waved and kept going, but it was surreal because that would never happen, you know, (laughs) under any other circumstance in the middle of the week during a busy business day or school day, you know. Yeah, I remember when all of it was coming to a screeching halt. We were actually in Florida, and uh, it was our spring break, and we were starting to get word that this virus that we were learning something about was beginning to affect people's decisions and whether or not we should even bring the students back. Right. And I, I, I was trying to wrap my head around it, but I remember uh, Kelly and I were looking at our calendar. Usually spring is the busiest time mm-hmm. of year for university president. And uh, all of a sudden, everything, as you said, just shut down. And my calendar opened up, and uh, all of a sudden, I was at home in the evening. Uh, right surreal yes and it probably was evening my memory is wrong about that because i remember those days were were crazy but and you know it might have been during the day it could it could have been yeah i don't know it's hard to know yeah and (laughs) and you know that one year stretched to two and so here we are so i'm grateful to have the opportunity to be here together in person um i saw you in the last couple of weeks over at one of the uh black history month events that was on campus enjoyed seeing dr catlett speak 
great to um, hear. She was just on the podcast um, oh, a week or so b- before you. So um, terrific to see you, you guys both back to back here. So I'll, I'll really kind of dive in for a second here. It's a leadership pod- podcast. So tell me a little about that journey that leads you from your background to where you are today. Yeah, well, you know, I if you go back to the beginning of my professional career, I was an attorney uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana and made the decision that I really wanted to do something that I, I loved and that I want, could see myself doing, and that is to work with young people at a critical point in their life. It was such a transformative experience for me, and a professor had a big influence on me that I decided to go back and get my PhD. And I thought, I thought that I was just going to, not just, I was going to be a faculty member. Mm-hmm. And I would be in the classroom for 30, 40 years, and I would retri- right. retire in that uh, capacity. So I never really went back to get my PhD to think that I was going to go into leadership. And uh, what really, you know, I I guess it's just my nature. Um, And I think it's true probably of a lot of people who end up in leadership roles is that you become a part of a community or a part of an organization, an institution, and you just instinctively start noticing things, whether they're problems or challenges or just ideas to make the place better. uh, And you start throwing yourself into that. Uh, collaborating with others and coming up with different things that you can do to hopefully improve the quality of education, not just for your students, but for the entire campus. And so I started doing that as a young faculty member at my first uh, my first faculty job, my only faculty job, I guess, now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, and as a young faculty member, uh, the president of the university uh, started taking notice that I was putting myself out there and coming up with ideas and organizing various things to enrich the campus. Uh, and the next thing you know, he starts telling people to uh, appoint me to key committees um, mm-hmm. and thinks that I would be a positive influence in some of the conversations that were occurring around university, exposed me to a lot of things about running a university that I would have never known otherwise. And that ultimately, just a uh, very few years later, because of my involvement in, uh, in a lot of things on campus, when uh, the dean of the College of Liberal Arts was leaving for another position, um, Actually, the outgoing dean came down to my office. I was in working on a Saturday and said, you need to be the next dean. You need to apply for this job. And uh, several other faculty members uh, encouraged me to do so, even though I was a pretty young faculty member at the time. And I thought it was way too early for me to apply for such a job. I thought, well, people, are, people, people see something in me. Uh, and uh, why not? Uh, let, let me give it a try. I had tenure at that time, so I thought, well, if I don't like it, I can always go back to faculty. And so I really took that first job in administration uh, as an experiment to see if I could make a difference. And that really began my my journey. Uh, And probably what inspired me to move on from that journey was after my first year as a dean, the president who was giving me opportunities and was encouraging me into leadership uh, decided he was going to retire. And we had a going away party and he... um, when I went to shake his hand and to thank him for everything that he had done for me, and he had taken me in under his wing, and had each week I met with him to just ask him questions, and he mentored me. So I was thanking him for all of that. Uh, and at that point in time, he, he said he would be back uh, when I, uh, for my inauguration. Uh, and this was after I'd only been dean for one year. And to just wow. to have someone express that kind of confidence yeah. and to give you that kind of encouragement, I never for a second thought about being a university president. That was the first time that thought was planted in my head. Yeah, your a, mind was around the dean role. I was yeah. just a new dean. I was, just, <laughs> I was trying to figure out what, it was, what, yeah. what that was all about. 
Uh, and so to have an outgoing president who had had a very successful two-decade mm. career as a university president yeah. um, you know, see something in me that I hadn't seen myself right. really sort of sparked that mm. and set me off on a journey that led me to now two university presidencies. Well, that's pretty cool. And that's an important lesson to remember as we go along in these journeys and other folks are looking up to us is to remember when you, when you think the good thoughts to share them. You know, it makes such a difference in, in others' lives. Every step of my life, Susan, that's been, when I think about, uh, actually, when I left Truman, uh, they had a series there uh, called The Last Lecture, and you maybe have heard this. Other universities do this as well, and that is they'll ask someone to give a lecture, and uh, but it's, it's, as if, it's as if it's your last lecture oh. you can give. So what would be your last lecture? Huh. That's a pretty profound question it is. Um, to, to try and answer. And so what do you talk about? And uh, it was a wonderful opportunity, and they did it in a large auditorium for me because I was leaving the university. And so I had a large crowd, and I knew that this was an opportunity for me as I was leaving that community to sort of impart on them what I had learned on my journey. And, and the theme of my talk was uh, invest in people uh, mm. because every, everything that has happened in my life uh, for the good that has helped me in my development as a leader has been because someone else has invested in me. And I can sort of point to different occasions throughout my life mm -hmm. where someone saw something in me and took the time and invested in my life that made a transformative difference. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. And you know, um, Troy, that's who you want in a leadership role, um, especially one so special as the one you're in. You know, you, you have the opportunity to really really make a difference being the president of a university i mean that's an awesome responsibility well yeah if i ponder it too much maybe it's too too big of a responsibility <laughs> for me but uh yeah i mean you know in some ways it is and being a university president uh is challenging i think because of the variety of constituents mm -hmm. you have to lead and you have to bring together, and especially at a time that we're living through where it's hard to bring people together on anything. Goodness. Uh, it's, it's particularly challenging. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that I kind of take it off in small bites, uh, mm -hmm. and I just think about kind of what are those values, what are those principles, what are the things that guide me in each of my relationships and each of my interactions. And usually all the other stuff kind of takes care of itself. Mm -hmm. If you take, if, if you do those fundamentals right, if you treat people the right way, if you respect them, uh, generally uh, a lot of the big decisions and the responsibilities that come with the job, uh, they're, all, they're, they're big decisions that have to be made, but I never make them by myself. Um, that they are made collectively uh, with others on my leadership team and others in the community. And if you can bring people together and benefit from their ideas and perspectives and making those decisions, usually they become pretty obvious by the time you make them. Mm -hmm. Now, that's kind of a leadership style because some people are very decisive, like on their own, and don't always bring in those others. Um, I certainly relate to that. I tend to do that as well. Um, does it ever get in the way? Do you ever feel like it slows you down, or is it just right on time for you on bringing people together on that? No, I mean, I'm an impatient sort, you know, and, and um, like a lot of people who come into these positions, you know, you want to move your institution, your organization forward, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you want forward momentum. And when you see opportunities, you want to seize them. You want to take advantage of them. When you see challenges or problems, you want to solve them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want to take a long time and you don't want to dither uh, for sure. So no, I'm, I'm oftentimes impatient. I'm also oftentimes <laughs> yeah. very frustrated. 
And I'm frustrated with sometimes the collaborative process. Even though I know it ultimately will bring a better result, sometimes it is frustrating. Uh, but what I've learned is that every decision I make is better when I first take the time to listen mm-hmm. and bring diverse perspectives to the table. Uh, and, and so I know just from experience that uh, the decision will be better in the long run if I take the time uh, to bring other people in and, and listen to their ideas first. Right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, I totally agree. It sure was hard when we think back over the last two years, particularly at the beginning, when we had to make so many decisions so quickly. Um, yeah, I, I think having those people, though, around you that can help support that probably makes some of the hard decisions. I mean, when you started, like when you think back to being at Truman, you would have never thought there'd be a day where you had to do things like shutting down classes and wearing masks and all the different rules. I mean, there was oh. no preparation for this, as you know, yeah. Susan, and, yeah. and I'm sure and you experienced in your life and in your talk with other leaders. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's prepared us for this. But um, again, I think when you are thrown into a crisis situation mm-hmm. where decisions have to be made fast, sometimes I call them battlefield decisions, right? Sure, You're in the sure. middle of battle and you have to make quick decisions. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if you get it wrong, uh, I think that those you are leading will give you the benefit of the doubt if you've done the work beforehand to build the trust uh, right. in the community and people know that you are, the decisions you're making you're, you're making them in what you believe to be the best interest of the whole. And if you can frame your decisions around what is guiding you, those principles, again, it's why it's so critically important in the outset of any decision-making process to be able to articulate very clearly, these are what the principles are that are guiding me. And in this case, it was pretty easy, especially in the early days, it's public health. Mm-hmm. You know, we have individual mm-hmm. public health. Mm-hmm. We got to be conscious of the health and safety of our community, both at Mary Washington, but in the broader Fredericksburg community. And so what is our responsibility? And so that guided our decision-making. Now, as we went through the pandemic, it became more complicated as there became other interests. You know, well, how do we, because this, maybe the second principle is we wanna do everything we could to continue to offer a high quality education to our students to allow them to graduate on time. And so some of these became competing interests and you had to balance this. And that has continued to be the case over the last two years, whereas there becomes more and more interest, then you start worrying about the mental health of your community. And some of the stress that all the protocols we've put in place has caused on our students and our faculty and staff. So you have to start balancing all of this and, and and it gets complicated. Yes. And everyone is, and I, and and you can relate to this. at a time like this and with a polarized country that we've been experiencing, uh, you know, think about, it, you know, the last two years hasn't only witnessed a pandemic, a public health crisis, sure. of course. We've, we've faced uh, you know, social unrest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've faced, uh, you know, political unrest. Certainly. And uh, we've had to manage through a public health crisis while we're also dealing with these other things that seem to be dividing us more than bringing us together. And then you're making critical decisions. And I could tell you oh. some of the decisions I've made, I've been... You know, on both sides, I remember when I was making the first decision whether or not we are going to bring students back in the fall of 2020 after we had sent them home in the spring. And, you know, it's a long time ago now, but you might recall that wasn't an easy decision to make. (laughs) So I was, you know, some schools were keeping their students at home for a while. We were going to online. Do we bring students back? Don't we bring them back? Mm. 
you know, there are economic imperatives. We, uh, our business model at a public liberal arts university like Mary Washington is that, you know, we generate revenue to support our operations through students living on campus. Sure. Okay, is bringing students back on campus, is that a, is that a health risk? If we don't bring them back, what do we do? Do we start laying people off? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so these are the kinds it's of decisions. Circle. And then in the process, you are being told whether it's via social media or via email, uh, either you know by bringing students back. I've had I had one email that said I would have blood on my hands because people were going to die if I brought students back. It's you know if you could remember, put yourself back in this place. We didn't know you know, and then uh, later on when you started applying some of the protocols, I was being accused of violating the Nuremberg codes, and so you know, <laughs> uh. you know you're balancing <laughs> all of this and trying with all that noise to yeah. make the right decisions and I would never pretend to say that I got it right a hundred percent of the time but again I think we got it right most of the time by again following our principles and listening to people one of the things that we did is we brought in health experts we mm -hmm, brought in not mm -hmm. only virologists on campus but we were so fortunate that Mary Washington Hospital was would do anything it could to help and collaborate with us yes. and I remember you know that uh uh, Dr. McDermott uh, said, you know, I, he's a friend of mine. I was able to call him and ask mm -hmm. him questions. And then he made available to us as an advisor, the chief medical officer, Dr. Newman. That's incredible. And just having that yep. kind of collaboration, that kind of relationship. Again, this is formed over years of trust sure. and community building. Mm -hmm. And so just having that to help guide the decision making, as I said earlier, made the decisions a lot clearer and i wouldn't say easy but uh, at least right. a lot clearer right leaning on those people you yes. know it's just so important uh it's interesting you've kind of touched on um, a topic that's really big for the chamber this year again which is civility um when you hadn't been here long um in 2017 you'd been here a year year and a half or so uh, we did our first forums on civility at the time and you helped helped us with some videos and some things we did on that topic um, I think it's such an important topic, and so um, just this week, um, as I'm sitting down with you later this week, we are hosting another event about civility. Feels like the conversation's gotten more difficult, and that pains me to say that. Um, I, I was with a class um, a week or so ago, and we talked about it, and I could tell there was a space in the room where it was uncomfortable for people to even talk about civility and uncivility. Um, what are your thoughts about that today? Well, first of all, I, I want to thank you and the chamber for, for leading that conversation in our community. It's so critically important. Yeah. Difficult, yes, but so critically important. Mm -hmm. So thank you for taking that on. Um, you know, it's at the core of, of what we do as a public university. We feel that we are a place that should be, first and foremost, we're about a lot of things, but first and foremost, we should be preparing good citizens for our democracy who are going to go back into their communities and work with others yeah. to make their communities better. At our core, that's what we do. Yes, we want to prepare them to make a living and all those sorts of things as well. But that is our most important job, mm -hmm. is to make sure that they're good citizens. And the only way you can do that is expose them to differences and to those who have different perspectives um, and come from different backgrounds, sure. have different views of the world, and be able to talk about fundamentally important issues, sometimes really difficult issues where people have strong, strong opinions, yes. but be able to talk about them in a way that shows respect and civility. Uh, it's the only way we're going to come together as a democracy. It's the only way we're going to come together as a community is to have that foundation, again, of respect and civility and trust with one another and to be able to deal with those who you don't uh, agree with. Uh, I know I take a lot of time 
uh, more and more as I get older and older to intentionally, whether it's through reading or listening to podcasts mm-hmm. or uh, what have you, to, to expose myself to those who disagree with me sure. on issues. Sure. Uh, so I can have a better understanding um, uh, of where they're coming from. And sometimes I'm persuaded actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, well, you know, Surprising, I, isn't I, it? You finally learned like that the New England Patriots were the best team. Well, <laughs> uh, you well, know, I had they, to go there at some uh, point. Well, they were until Tom Brady left. <laughs> I know. I that. <laughs> Fair well, enough. Yeah, well, you know, as, as someone from Indianapolis who's a Colts fan, this is a real sore subject for me. The number of times I had to watch Tom Brady and the New England Patriots march down the field on my Colts oh. for a winning touchdown. Painful. Uh, but yes, uh, it, you know, these are, these are, this is a difficult time we're living through. Yes. Um, but uh, I think it's important for all of us in our communities, but particularly leaders, is to be able to lead through this time with great hope and optimism. Uh, one of the things that I think is most discouraging to me is sometimes when I hear leaders express skepticism about our future yes. uh, at a time like yes. this. And I, I realize we have to be realists and face that, you know, and recognize the significant challenges we're facing mm-hmm. as a country and mm-hmm. in our communities. Uh, but I think we have to also believe uh, believe in our future and invest in our future and, right. and believe that, yes, just like other times in our history, we've gone through incredibly difficult times. But in the end, we've been able to make, I think, our country better by ultimately working together on some of those, identifying what the problems are mm-hmm. and then working together mm-hmm. to solve them. And, I, and I'm, I'm still working with young people, 18 to 22. That's what gives me the greatest hope. Oh, it has and inspires to. me. Yes. I, I work with these young people. We have, Kelly and I have them over into our house at Brompton. Mm-hmm. We talk to them. And after an hour of talking to some of these young people who are so inspiring, are so hopeful, and want to invest in their communities and serve, it's hard not to be hopeful and optimistic, uh, even, even at a time like this. Of course. Oh, well, that's just so great to hear. I love it. And, and back to the beginning uh, when I mentioned um, the social history of the United States, 1960s, this book. So I, I'm going back there because you don't know this. When I, I went to VCU in Richmond, Virginia uh, in the 80s, <laughs> and my, my, the history I learned growing up here um, kind of ended in, in high school um, around like World War II. So back in the 80s, there wasn't an internet, et cetera. So I was really curious about things like, uh, you know, the 60s, especially. I was very interested. The music I liked was from that period of time. Uh, I was born in the 60s. In fact, the day I was born, the Rolling Stones uh, were number one. But (coughs) I digress. (laughs) And and so I think we might have a common ground there. Um, But, there, you know, think about that volatile period of time. Um, So interesting. and look at today, it's like 50 years later, not that, that I am, but um, you're, you're seeing some repeats in, in it, it, it seemed like our, our youth seemed so separated then, you know, and, and so many, so much of the music was reflective of that, and there was so much division, and look, every, that's now the establishment, <laughs> you know, so everything kind of is cyclical, and you have to believe in that, and really really talk to people to have that understanding, you know? Yeah, you know, as someone who, I, I guess I'm still a historian, even though I don't practice it, uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of like I'm a lawyer, but I don't yeah. practice it. Uh, you know, one of the things you do as a historian is you look at both continuity and change. What are some things that sort of uh, remain and what are the yeah. forces that continue to change our society? And yeah, I think you can look at the 60s as an exa- as something that, yeah, it was a very volatile, divisive time. 
with the country dealing with, with some very difficult issues from Vietnam to the yeah. civil rights movement, yeah. war on poverty, and go on and yeah. on. Assassinations. Think of all the assassinations Goodness that gracious. occurred in the 1960s. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and yes, and then you can fast forward to our time, and in some ways even more complicated in the age of an internet and social media mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. globalization that has occurred since that time that has sort of pulled us apart. But yeah, I mean, I think we can also recognize that this is a country that can can work through a time like that and then on the other side uh, continue to improve as a society and as a democracy. So yeah, I mean, it it looks dark right now, but I often believe it's dark as before the dawn and I'm still hopeful. Good, good. Me too. Um, I'll just do one other aside from them before we wrap up. Um, I just thought of it while you were talking. While I was in that course, Dr. Farmer was teaching at the university and Marguerite Young arranged for me to interview him. Oh, wow. And um, so for this paper I had to do for this history um, course. And so I, di- I interviewed him multiple times, if you can believe it, and then ended up becoming fast friends with him, um, myself and my roommate Mariah. And we spent a lot of time with him, um, so much so that a few years later, even when I got married, he came to my wedding and stuff. Wow. But he, he profoundly impacted my life to be right there in the middle of the 80s. And I was a music major and rock and roll and all that. But to be able to sit down with him repeatedly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't yeah. believe it when I came to Mary yeah. Washington. I guess I hadn't realized that he uh, ended his career on the faculty at Mary Washington yeah. because you mentioned I wrote the book on the 1960s, so I certainly knew of James Farmer certainly. and had written about his work both at CORE and mm-hmm. organizing the Freedom Rides. Yes. And so to know that he was a part of this institution's legacy, I was like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, super, <laughs> super amazing. So we have that common bond too. And um, anybody um, that's listening, um, look up the University of Mary Washington in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Check out some, some photos and things of the campus. And right there in the dead center of the campus is a bust of Dr. Farmer. And um, look him up too if you don't know about Dr. James Farmer. It's a great history and it's right here as part of our local history. Uh, in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Well, already we're at um, uh, overtime here a little bit, oh, wow. so we're going to wind it right on down. <laughs> I've so I enjoyed. I know it. I've <laughs> so enjoyed talking with you. Um, it's it's just a pleasure to sit down with you. Um, as we wrap it up, do you have a favorite motto or saying you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, you I, you know, it's become a motto of mine over the uh-huh. last two uh-huh. years during the pandemic. <laughs> of course. Uh, and I actually got it from a Ted Lasso episode, which actually is a okay. quote of Walt Whitman. Yes. Um, uh, uh, be curious, not judgmental. Ah. Uh, I've used that a lot. You talked about your own curiosity, and it yes. kind of it kind of uh, goes back to sort of the core of what brought me into education. Uh, but I think it also speaks to this time: uh, is that we are too quick to make judgments of other people, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes based on superficial uh, things, and uh, you know, to, to take the time before you judge uh, to first of all be curious and get to know someone and ask questions and listen. Uh, I think is something that has been guiding me uh, through this time. Oh, I love that. Be curious, not judgmental. That's terrific. Th- thank you for that, Troy. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I, you know, I just, uh, you know, for, for those of you who are in leadership roles or aspire to leadership roles, you know, just be your authentic self and, and really understand uh, what guides you, what are those principles, what are those values, and then be very transparent about that. When people know who you are and know what you stand for, it really builds a level of trust. And that is, as I said earlier, the foundation to, I think, effective leadership. Yeah, good. Thank you for that. And and that word trust and values, it, you repeated them throughout our, our conversation. So it really resonates. 
Thank you. And again, I'm delighted to be here with you uh, today and look forward to seeing you again very soon. Well, thank you, Susan, for the opportunity. (laughs) Absolutely. And thanks to our listeners for spending time with us today. I am Susan Spears, and our guest today was Dr. Troy Pano, president of the University of Mary Washington. If you have not already subscribed to the Chambers We Are Business podcast, go ahead and do so. Now you'll know when new episodes are available. And while you're at it, if you could jump on over and give us a review so other listeners can find us easily, we would be so very appreciative. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.